Good morning, everybody. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, uh, last week and the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been thinking and praying of how we can uh, add to the common good of organizations that are doing things uh, in New York City, specifically around uh, sexual abuse and sexual violence. Uh, we certainly know within the last couple of weeks uh, how challenging it must be for a number of people, particularly if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, uh, sexual violence in any form. So last week we announced we were going to donate our offering, and uh, you guys gave very generously, and we're giving away a little bit over $15,000 to two organizations. Uh, one of those organizations is in the lobby right now. It's called Sanctuary for Families. And they specialize in working with uh, gender-based violence, uh, particularly women who are survivors of domestic violence and sexual violence. Uh, and they have a, a whole slew of uh, programs and counseling and legal services that they offer to help be a shelter in, in many ways uh, for these women. And they're based out of New York City. Uh, and the other organization is called Restore. And Restore works primarily with internationally sex-trafficked women who, in, in every sense of the word, are kidnapped and forced to live in sexual slavery. And Restore works by giving women safe houses to break away from the cycle that they've been into. And both of these organizations are phenomenal, and we are very grateful to be able to give uh, in that effort. Um, and we're grateful for you guys who are generous, who give to that. Uh, the primary reason that we're able to do that, to be perfectly honest, is we are ahead of our giving for the year because of your generosity. And Yes, give it up for yourselves. And we don't, uh, we don't want to um, hoard anything. We want to be as generous as possible. And uh, we encourage you guys to continue to be generous so we can continue to be generous and seeing good things happen in New York City. All right, so let me pray for us before we get into the word for today. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, you know um, all of the ways in which um, I am unable to um, do the things that you have called me to do by myself. And I thank you for uh, just how you surround me with people and surround me with your spirit. So Lord, I ask that in these moments you would use the words that I say, and I pray that you would uh, soften hearts and soften ears to hear your word uh, today. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So my wife and I are slowly climbing out of... Uh, something known as Hurricane Josiah. The, anybody? It's not nationally televised. Josiah was our, our second son, born about five and a half months ago. And sleeplessness does a lot of crazy things to you. Um, my wife and I were hallucinating. It was, it was a pretty rough time. Part of the roughness of it, to be perfectly honest, is when the kids are first born, they really don't do much. They just kind of exist. One of the great joys that we've uh, had in the last number of months, uh, particularly in this last couple of weeks, is that my youngest son is now able to recognize uh, us, and he's able to recognize his older brother, and to walk into my living room and to see my sons hugging, man, it just does something to me. I had the, the single Denzel glory tear going down my cheeks. <laughs> it's a special sight that I hope continues for their entire life. Uh, I hope to see them grow not just up in the same household, but I hope that they grow together to be friends. I hope that they get, in, get into 
and out of a lot of trouble together. I hope that one day they're standing as the best man for each other's wedding. I hope that in every single way they will be able to look at each other and say, I am my brother's keeper. It's a special warmth that it gives to my heart to see my sons not just growing together in the same household, but loving each other. I think the heart of God our Father is similar, that God loves to see his children together, not just coexisting in the same room, but that they take ownership for each other and that they truly love each other. There's a scripture that talks about this from Psalm 133. It says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. There's something special about it. There's something worth celebrating about that. Much like in our household, what really honors God is when God's children come together in unity. Now, Scripture calls that both good and pleasant. I've had a lot of things in my life that were good, but not pleasant. I've had some things that were pleasant, but not good for me. Uh, but Scripture says that to live in unity with each other, brothers and sisters, despite our differences, is something that is both good and pleasant. It's unity in God's household that it's good for our soul. It does something inside of you, and done correctly, it's pleasant. It honors and it pleases God. That God our Father looks down with deep joy when we are united. Now, this is why diversity is uh, a value for us. And it's a value not because it's something that's easy, because Lord knows it is the opposite of easy, uh, but because it brings God joy, it brings God pleasure when his children come together despite our differences. There's a scripture in Ephesians 4 and 3 where it says that you and I should be making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, scripture uses a word here for making every effort, and uh, that means to go above and beyond what is normally comfortable, what is normally part of your rhythm, and to go above that, to make every single effort, to do something with intense effort and with intense motivation. Now, Scripture mentions this about unity because the unity that God wants, the unity that God wants to see here at Renaissance will not be accomplished simply by going with the status quo and what is comfortable to us right now, but it will require that we go above and beyond and we do something with intense effort and motivation. Uh, years ago, before my wife and I got married, I convinced her that it would be a great idea if we ran a half marathon together. Uh, I played basketball in college. I'm, a, I'm an athlete, you know what I'm saying? Maybe not right now, but uh, how hard could it be, right? Uh, very hard. Uh, I, was, I was riding shotgun on a struggle bus, and that picture's from the first quarter mile, so it was a long... Uh, meanwhile, Jessica looked like she was going for a nice, leisurely stroll around Central Park. Now, when this picture was taking place, I think this was at mile 11, uh, my legs felt like I had cement running through my veins. My lungs felt like I had been smoking black and milds. Uh, my entire body was in a world of pain. But do you know what I was doing in that photo? I was making every effort to finish the race. There's a scripture where Paul talks about uh, his life and his ministry. And he says that I have run a good race. I have finished the race that God has set out for me. The race that God has set out for you individually and for us corporately is a race that's going to require that we make every single effort. 
Now, when we talk about the unity that God wants in this church and in all of his churches, uh, it's a unity that requires that we make every single effort. It requires that we push past our normal limitations toward the goal ahead of us. And the unity that honors God will require that you and I strive for it. It will require that you do not sit back and wait for it to happen to you, but that you go out and you create it. Now, this is what I'm hoping for us as we are talking about diversity and the framework for it. Uh, before we get too far down the line, I want to make sure that I define it so that we're all working from the same page in terms of what diversity is. Um, uh, by diversity, I mean that diversity is living as a family, committed to loving each other well, despite our many, many differences. So it is living as a family, committed to loving each other well, despite our many differences. Man, if you think about it, how many times does God look down on his household of faith and see his kids separated? How often is God robbed of the pleasure of seeing his sons and his daughters in unity? How much does God desire that you and I make every effort to push past all of the challenges, and certainly there are challenges, towards being unified? Now, make no mistake about it, the differences that uh, we have in life do make for uh, diversity to be a, a challenge. And I want to make sure that I'm really doing a good job of also defining what I don't mean when I say diversity. Uh, when I say diversity, I do not mean that you simply tolerate people that don't look like you and that you'll accept other people to come near you, but you're not going to do so much as to make every effort to actually have unity and oneness with them. I also really don't mean assimilation, that because you are um, coming into this new group of people, that everybody leaves the culture and their ethnicity and the way that they have been formed by their family and all kind of leaves it at the door and somehow comes to this one new dominant culture where everybody is the same. I do not mean assimilation. But I also don't mean imposing yourself on people, that just because it's a good thing, that people need to automatically accept and receive you, uh, and that you don't have to do things like listening. Uh, one of the biggest challenges that a lot of people have is, I don't think that they fully understand the difference between your intentions and your impact. You can have some fantastic intentions, and those intentions have a terrible impact. Just because diversity is a good thing that God wants and God loves, doesn't mean that as soon as you step into a group of people, they should automatically accept you and everything should immediately click. I think that it still causes us to listen well and to make sure that our actions are in line with wisdom and that we're doing the right things and we're not just imposing ourselves on other people. And lastly, I do not mean it's just harmony. I do not mean that we just forget about all of the tensions and hold hands and sing kumbaya together so we can have a nice Christmas card that looks really impressive for other people. I do not mean that. By diversity, I mean that we love and live together as a family, committed to each other, to love each other well, despite our differences. Uh, now, to be very clear, all of these differences create a lot of challenges and tensions. To live in Harlem in 2018, in a gentrified neighborhood, uh, diversity for a lot of people is not what you came to church looking for. Now, Harlem is the crown jewel of African-American culture in the entire world. 
And every, uh, almost every single meaningful contribution from African-American culture has, at some point, come through these streets. Now, if you're from here, and this area, this place of pride that has served you, that you and your family have lived in for decades, uh, if this area is now being changed and turned over, and not just that new people are coming in, but your friends and your family are being kicked out, why in the world would you want a diverse church? I was talking to one of my friends, and he was telling me the way that his management company goes about kicking out old tenants. Uh, his mother had lived in the building since the 70s, and what they do is eventually they'll find something to complain about, and then they, they'll withhold the rent statement. And after they withhold the rent statement, they'll hold it for a couple of months, and then finally they'll take you to court hoping that you spent the rent money. Then they'll say, you know what, we'll drop that other charge, but you got to pay five months right now or else we're going to kick you out. And it works. They get a lot of people out. Now imagine your mother or your grandmother, your aunt or your cousin was kicked out of a building because of some shiesty landlord that's trying to uh, get rid of uh, old school indigenous Harlemites and put new people in it. Would you want to be in a church community surrounded with these new people who represent not just new people and new faces, but they represent the displacement of you and your family? Now there's a thousand different reasons why diversity is almost impossible. But to my white brothers and sisters, why in the world would you want to be in a community that you have to second guess everything that you're saying? Where people are constantly evaluating you and in your head, you're always worried about how you're being perceived. It's so much easier to go around people that are like you. One of the reports that we got from our community groups in uh, the spring, last spring, was that the leaders were telling us, man, the conversations have been going well, but none of the white people in the community group are even talking. They're not even saying anything. People who had been previously active in conversations were just quiet. And when we started to ask questions, we found out they were just, they were terrified of just saying the wrong thing. Why would you want to be in a church community that you're so terrified to say the wrong thing? It's so much easier just to go and be around people that are like you. Uh, to my Asians and my Latino brothers and sisters, uh, you kind of get it from both directions in a lot of ways. Uh, I was talking to my, my boy Lester, one of the pastors on staff, and he's Korean, and he talks about all of the stories that uh, the people just say the most ridiculous and offensive things to him. And if you know Lester, Lester has tough skin, so I'm not really too concerned about Lester. Uh, but the thing that really did bother me that, man, it, it, it bothered me to my core was to hear that things people say, not just to him, but to his kids. And they're eight and nine years old. To hear people say things like this to your kids and, and to, to feel like you're a foreigner in the place where you live and own property and you're here trying to just do good things, why would you want to be in a community or a church community in which you would be misunderstood? Isn't it just easier to just go and be around your own people? About 10 years ago, I remember having a conversation, a very spirited conversation with one of my good friends, and he and I were arguing about diversity, and I was saying, I don't care what you're saying, I just believe, I don't, you can read me whatever scripture you want, but I believe that I want to go to a black church, period. I do not want to have to be around other people who I have to second guess what I'm saying or how I'm being perceived around them. Black people should have a church, Latinos should have a church, Koreans should have a church, and once a year, let's come together for a potluck, I'll get some kimchi, you know what I'm saying, and it'll be all good. Why in the world would I want to be around to be in a diverse church, and I never in 20 billion years thought that I would want to plant a diverse church. 
Uh, my friend read me a scripture that day that humbled me. Uh, it, it broke down a lot of the walls in my life, and it, and it showed me things from a different perspective. It comes from the Gospel of John, and it's a prayer by Jesus. Now, you might have heard of something called the Lord's Prayer, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. This is the Lord's Prayer. A few weeks before Jesus was about to be crucified, we have in this section of scripture the longest recorded prayer from Jesus. And a couple of weeks before he's about to be crucified, I want you to listen to what he's praying for. Listen to what's on his heart. Listen to what is uh, uh, consuming his mind uh, as he prays. It comes from John 17. It says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Here's what he's praying. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you love me. As you and I get an opportunity to eavesdrop and to ear hustle on Jesus' prayer life, here's what Jesus is praying for you. Here's what Jesus is praying for me. Here's what Jesus is praying for us collectively, that you and I would be one, that despite our differences, we would commit to loving each other well. And because unity and diversity matters to Jesus, because it matters to him so much that at the end of his life, this is what he's praying for, you and I should make every single effort to move in that direction. We should make every single effort to make sure that our relationships are reflecting the heart and the prayers of Jesus. Every year at my family reunion uh, in Virginia, uh, my cousins go through a history of the family and they go all the way back towards my great-great-great-grandfather, Oliver Jameson. Uh, That's a part of our history that uh, is toward the end of slavery where we start to recognize and, and know our ancestry pretty well. Uh, and uh, Oliver, his name is Oliver Jameson. That's where we got the name from my oldest son, uh, Jameson, to carry on uh, that name. And they go through the history and the challenges and the struggles of my family. And when I was a kid, I didn't really care about it. But the older I've gotten, I've, got to, I've gotten so much wisdom and so much to appreciate, man, how my family was being formed through slavery, through sharecropping, through all of the Jim Crow, through all of the challenges uh, in life. At a certain point in the family reunion, uh, we switch also to uh, celebrations, and we celebrate all of the things that our family is doing right now. When someone graduates from med school, or someone starts a business, or whatever it is, uh, we celebrate it together as a family. And as my cousin was going through our history and, and updating all of our successes, he said something that blew the doors off of Uh, my understanding. He said, you know what? We're standing on the prayers of our ancestors. That when our ancestors were in those fields picking cotton, they were praying for a day that one day we could achieve the measure of success that we had today. We were not isolated. We were not, we did not reach these things on our own, but we were standing on the shoulders of our ancestors who went before us and prayed that one day we would achieve the things that we have today. 
when I see Renaissance and when I look out from our stage and I look out on the family of God that God has built and is building here at Renaissance, make no mistake about it, we have not gotten here based on some good strategic plans in order to be a diverse church. We are standing on the prayers of Jesus. We are standing on the prayers of Jesus that are pushing us toward being the realization of his prayers for us, that we would not be separated, but that we would truly be one. Not just in the same room, but deeply committed to loving each other despite our many differences. Because this unity and diversity matters so much to God, you and I need to make every single effort to pursue it. Now, I want to highlight the text a little bit and and, and draw out three things that really jumped out to me uh, from the scripture. And man, the first thing that I was thinking about as I was getting ready for this message is I know that a lot of people who have come to church did not come to church today hoping and praying that we were going to talk about diversity. There are other things on your mind. You have your job to worry about, your relationships, uh, probably about 30 other things in your mind that you would put above diversity on the list of why you came to church today. And let me just say this. The first thing I want to highlight today is the danger in ignoring it. There is a significant danger in ignoring things that Jesus holds as a high priority. That to be a follower of Jesus means to not just accept his teachings, to not just accept his sacrifice, but also accept his priorities of what he is wanting to achieve in your life. Now, none of us would hop onto a plane where the pilot uh, sits back and says, you know what, I kind of skipped everything about landing. I really wasn't too interested in in that. Uh, All I really was interested in was taking off and how to fly a plane midair, but I don't really care about landing. You know, we'll let the computers do that. None of us would hop into a plane if the pilot had missed out on things that their instructors would have found to be important and beneficial. None of us would hop onto a surgery table with a surgeon that skipped out on how to make incisions. Like, yeah, I'm not really too big, I'm not really too big on incisions. I'm just worried about sticking my hand in there, moving some kidneys around, and, you know, seeing what things feel like down there. Deep down inside, we all know that in order to be proficient at anything, you need to accept the training of those who have gone before you and accept their priorities of your life over your own. That no student should ever set the pace in the course for their instruction. There's a huge danger in ignoring what Jesus is praying for here because eventually what's going to end up happening is you and I are going to start to set the pace for what it looks like to follow Jesus. You cannot have a walk with God that you are proud of. You cannot have a walk with God that is actually nourishing you and challenging you if you're setting the priority of how these things should work, if you have to understand, if you have to agree with why you should do certain things, but rather simply saying, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you lead me. One of the great dangers in ignoring it is that you and I become uh, followers of ourselves. One of my friends uh, has a church in Brooklyn called the Recovery House of Worship. Uh, His name is Edwin Colon. I hope that one day he comes to speak to us uh, at Renaissance. Phenomenal brother. Uh, He comes out of actually an addiction background where he had some severe drug addiction. And their ministry is almost based on the 12-step model. That when people come to Christ, they immediately send them back into the 12-step program to reach out to other people who are still caught in the cycle of addiction. When they go, a lot of times, when they get to the section on the higher power, He says one of the biggest pushbacks he gets is that people say, well, you know what? I already believe in a higher power. And he's like, great, cool. So answer this question. Where do you and your higher power disagree? What does your higher power think you should do that you don't think you should do? 
most of the time, what he's found is that people don't have an answer for that. And his answer to them is, oh, it's because you, you're the, you're the higher power. You're just following yourself. In order for Jesus to truly be the Lord of our lives, not just the Lord of our lips, we need to accept his responsibility and his priorities in our life that we let him set the pace for what it is that we are pursuing. And even if diversity for you is not something that you care about, even if being one with the, the other people in this room that make up the body of Christ is something that you even find to be important, simply because Jesus is saying it's important means that our discipleship is at stake if we don't go in that direction. And because unity matters so much to Christ, you and I need to pursue it and make every single effort to pursue it. Now, the good news behind this is I don't think Jesus calls us to this for no reason. I think there's something beautiful that he's trying to do with our lives. I think that he knows what the end result will be. And what he's trying to do in us and through us requires that you and I are one. The second thing we see in this text is the source of our diversity. And in verse 23 of Jesus' prayer, we see the source that you and I can draw from to live out this prayer for us. Jesus says this line, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. Real diversity is not something that you and I can create on our own. It's something that we join into. When Jesus says that he is in us and he is in the Father so that uh, we may be made completely one, he's mentioning first and foremost what had to happen in order for the gap between us and God uh, to be closed so that you and I could have a, a horizontal relationship with each other. And the source of diversity is that you and I are a reconciled people that have received the grace of God and that the spirit of Jesus is living inside of us and that is causing us to fellowship and to connect with other people who have also been ransomed and reconciled to God. Uh, one of our newest staff members, Kyra, my little sister, she is a phenomenal young woman of God, uh, really excited to have her on our team. And she just finished reading the, New, the Old Testament. And I asked her, hey, what, what stuck out to you about the Old Testament? And man, she lit up and she said, hey, this the holiness of God all throughout Scripture, that God uh, just did not dwell around sin. But simultaneously, among this, this, this holiness of God, you also have this concept that one day, in these prophecies, that one day God is coming to reclaim the people that have rejected him. That God is coming to redeem and to restore the people who do not deserve it at all. When you fast forward to the New Testament, you see these prophecies revealed in Jesus. In Romans 5 and 8, it's a popular scripture that we quote all the time. It says, and God proves uh, his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The people that Christ came for were the Pharisees, and Jesus had some pretty hard words for the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed tombs. Essentially, he was saying, on the outside, you look fantastic, but on the inside is nothing but death and decay. Jesus also came for the tax collectors and the prostitutes, for the people who were the farthest away from God in every sense of the word. Now, when Jesus says that I am in them, it's a profound statement saying the people uh, who deserve nothing from God got God's best, got God's everything in God, the Son coming to us to restore us. That you and I have no reason why Jesus should have ever come to us. There's nothing that you have ever done, that I have ever done, to deserve that Jesus would come in proximity to us, that the one who was sinless would come face to face with our sin. 
Now, to be, uh, to, to be in relationship with Jesus means that you and I have received an, inordinate, an amazing amount of grace that we did not deserve. And that vertical grace, which has closed the separation between us and God, should do something to you in your horizontal relationships. You should see yourself not as someone who is the gatekeeper, but you're someone who had it all paid by Jesus. And now people who don't deserve your love and your affection, man, if you're just living the life based on what Jesus did for you, you can extend that grace and you can make every effort to actually pursue unity. Uh, the real source of diversity is seeing yourself as a reconciled person whom God has given grace that you did not deserve. And that would cause you to identify with other people who are also recipients of that grace. Uh, in her book, Blind Spot, uh, a woman named Mazarin Banaji, she tells a story about two Yale doctors. And it's one of the best examples I've ever heard of what it looks like on how people relate to each other. It's about a woman named uh, Dr. Carla Kaplan, and she was an assistant professor of American literature at Yale, and uh, she cut her hand while doing some dishes, and cut her hand pretty bad, and her boyfriend rushed her to the hospital, and when she got there, he said, hey, she loves to quilt, and it would be really bad if uh, her hand didn't heal properly because she might not be able to quilt in the way that she wants to. The doctor says, sir, don't worry about it. We're gonna take good care of her. And they prepared her hand and got ready just to stitch her up. As she was having her, hair pre her hand prepared to be stitched up, uh, a first-year resident looked around the corner and says, oh, Dr. Kaplan, what are you doing here? Uh, the doctor that was about to stitch her up says, oh, you're, you're a doctor here at Yale? She says, yes, I teach American literature. That doctor immediately canceled those plans and said, took her back to the surgery ward, called in the foremost hand specialist in all of Connecticut to come and to spend hours and hours intricately working on her hand. When she was just Carla, yeah, we'll sew her up. But when he can see himself in her that, oh, we're both Yale doctors, he made every single effort for her. He went above and beyond. I think one of the biggest barriers to us pursuing unity is that we truly don't see the length to which Christ has come to, gone to for our reconciliation and seeing that in other people. That we are both redeemed people, everyone who's put their faith in Christ, we are redeemed people that Christ loves. And we fail to see that, that Christ is in them, that Christ is in us, and none of us deserved it. We'll never have true diversity true oneness, and we'll never be willing to go above and beyond, to make every effort uh, in that regard. The last thing we see in this text is the purpose of diversity. Uh, Jesus says in verse 23, uh, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Uh, very practically, there's a purpose for diversity, and Jesus says that what the watching world may know that he is real and he is dope and uh, that God invites everyone into his family. And that unity and diversity is a tool that God uses to prove his realness. Part of it, I think, is uh, just on a really practical level that when people come into the family of God, when they come into Renaissance and they see themselves represented, it signals to them that, oh, I can belong to this family. I don't know if you've ever been in a room where you were the only fill in the blank. You were the only man, you were the only woman, you were the only Puerto Rican, you were the only black person, you were the only white person, you were the only Knicks fan, and it felt pretty terrible just being in a room. 
What happens is uh, it feels alone and isolating, and no matter how much people say, no, 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 come be a part of us, even if they're saying it with their lips, you still don't see yourself in that crowd. So what happens? You, you, you retreat, and you don't feel like you're truly invited. Part of the purpose of diversity is so that the watching world will know that everybody from every single corner of the world is welcomed and invited to God's table and that you belong. Uh, the second purpose of it, I think, is um, so that when people come and what it, what it does is when they see people who have every single reason and have uh, a, a lot of reasons why they should not be together, when people see us together, it actually causes people to stop and to ask questions, what is holding us up? What is it that's holding you together? Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen those street performers that are like, they look like they're levitating. Um, they're in you know, different parks uh, throughout the city asking for donations. The spectacle is that people look at them and say, the laws of gravity demand that you should fall. So people stop and they stare to investigate what is it that is actually holding them up. The laws of racism and the history of America demand that you and I should separate. And when they see us together, not just living near each other, but actually truly loving each other well, despite all of our differences, it causes the watching world on the outside to stop and to stare, to wonder, what is it that is holding them together? Now, in order for God to do that through us, it requires uh, two things. The first is that you and I would be willing to follow Jesus, even if we don't see the full-out plan for everything that he has planned for us in his unity. And the second thing that it requires is that you and I be willing to follow Jesus by being intentional to make every single effort in front of us to move in a direction of pursuing oneness with our brothers and sisters, because make no mistake about it, Jesus has something for us at the end of his commands. God never gives us a command just for the sake of it, but in, on the other side of our following him, on the other side of our obedience to Jesus, there's always something that he has for us. Don't ever fall prey to the uh, illusion that God calls us to do things just for the heck of it. God calls, calls us to do things uh, because he has something waiting for us. And what it's going to require from us is your intentionality.